You're listening to the You Ask For It series from Restoration Christian Church. Well, we want to do one thing at Restoration Christian Church. We want to do that one thing very well, and that is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples. And, you know, there's a lot of good things we can do. There's a lot of good projects we can be involved in. But if we don't keep our focus and keep our hearts on the main thing, which is making disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples, then, then, then we've kind of missed the point of, of what is most important as our church. And so that's why I will constantly... Uh, remind us what our mission is, that we're here to make disciples. And, and we want to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I'll probably remind you of this over and over till you get sick of hearing that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples. But when you get sick of hearing it, that probably means you're starting to, to remember it, to get it. But yet we, you know, in, in constantly stating this mission, that our desire as a church is to make disciples who make disciples, uh, I think it's good to know what our purpose is, but what if we don't know how? Or what if I don't know, how do I become a disciple uh, of Jesus who makes disciples? How, how do I follow Christ? And so today, as we continue in our You Ask For It series, I simply want to wrestle with the question of how do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? And we have a variety of people who come and worship with us at Restoration Christian Church, and we have a lot of different backgrounds of churches, and I think it's good for us to take time to explain what we believe about following Jesus and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, because there's a danger with so many churches teaching many different things that the message about how to be a disciple can become blurred uh, amongst all the, the other messages and it can be confusing to understand. But if our mission is to make disciples, it's crucial for us to know uh, what one must do to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And plus, uh, I want us to keep things simple. Sometimes we can make being a disciple Unclear. We can make it difficult than it actually is. When the church first began, it began in the city of Jerusalem, which meant that most of the early disciples were Jewish Christians. But as the message began to spread about Jesus, more Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish, they started becoming Christians. And this caused a, a debate within the church that some of the Jewish Christians were upset. They were worried that these new Gentile Christians, they need to start keeping the law of Moses. And specifically, the Gentile men. They would need to be circumcised to follow the law of Moses in order that they could be a Christian, that they could be a disciple of Jesus. And so this created a debate within the church. Now, you talk about an awkward partnership class. Uh, guys, before you join the church, there's one more thing we've got to talk about here. You know, that, that gets a little, little awkward to discuss. And, and so the church meets together. And they kind of have this council where they decide, okay, what are we going to do about this? And at the conclusion of the debate, an early church leader named James, he, he gives his opinion. And, and I love this verse in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. James says, It is my judgment, therefore... That we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult. I, I love that. Let's not put a barrier in the way of people who are trying to, to get close to God, who are coming to God. And, and friends, I want that to become our philosophy here at the church, that we don't want to make it difficult. 
And we don't want to put obstacles in people's way. We just want to clearly just share the message of Jesus and say, this is how to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we want to communicate that clearly and in an understandable way. Because sometimes it gets difficult. Sometimes there's barriers. Sometimes it's just kind of fuzzy on how do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? I heard about a guy who went forward at the end of a service one week in church. And he went forward and this decision counselor met him at the front. And he said, okay, here's a card I want you to sign. And I want you to go up there and and kneel down and and start praying through. And and the man did that. And then this other decision counselor came up to him and said, hey, brother, when I became a disciple, I saw a light. I want you to look for the light. Look for the light. And this next guy came up just a couple seconds later and said, listen, but, you know, hold on, hold on. A few minutes later, another guy came by and said, let go, let go. And the guy said, man, by the time I was signing a card and praying through and looking for a light and holding on and letting go, I nearly went to hell. <laughs> and we, we hear all these things. And, and my goal this morning is to simply present how to be a disciple as clearly and biblically as I possibly can. And to do this... I need your help today. I need to ask you to do a favor. First of all, would you please listen objectively? Can we listen objectively? Don't listen to see if what I say matches up with what your past experience has been or your church tradition. Let's just open God's word and let's allow him to speak to us. Let's just try to listen objectively this morning. And second, let's let's study thoroughly. It's easy to take one verse from the Bible and build a whole theology around that particular verse. I heard about a guy that argued the Bible would allow him to have eight wives, four better and four worse. But it's easy to take a a, a verse of Scripture and, and build a whole theology about it. But let's remember what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. He said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And so we can take one verse concerning uh, salvation or following Jesus, and then we can close our minds to anything else that might fully explain the subject. But when we study the New Testament about how to be a disciple, how to follow Christ, uh, sometimes in different books of the Bible, the answer is more detailed depending on who the audience is, who was speaking, who they were speaking to. And so that's why it's important to take all of scripture and put it together to form a complete picture. And third, the favor I ask of you is to begin correctly. Let's begin correctly. Now the Bible we believe is our authority. The Bible is our foundation. And the place to begin asking how the church made disciples is to begin and see, okay, when did the church begin? And we see that the church began making disciples after Jesus had died and rose again from the grave. He had come back to life. We follow the risen Christ. And therefore, in order to discover how to become a disciple, how disciples made disciples, we don't want to just focus on encounters Jesus had with people before his death because Jesus hadn't completed his full mission yet. He hadn't died. He hadn't come back from the grave yet. Now, those meetings with Jesus, they're helpful encounters because they give us insight into who Jesus is and what it means to to follow Christ, but to only study Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus or to only look at his conversation with the woman at the well or the thief on the cross, those do not give us a complete picture of what it means to be a disciple, to follow Christ. 
And technically, those people lived under the Old Testament time period because Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't come back to life. The new covenant hadn't begun. And so to correctly understand how to become a disciple, the best place to begin is immediately after those events took place. And that's why the book of Acts is a great place to start. Because the book of Acts tells us how those first disciples carried out Jesus' mission to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end, Jesus said. And so we get to the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 2, it tells us on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover, so just a little over a month from when Jesus was crucified, the disciples began to preach about Jesus to the huge crowd that was gathered in Jerusalem. And Acts chapter 2 is important because this is the first message delivered to people about following Jesus. Jesus. It is the first message given to people about his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Apostle Peter, he was kind of the main spokesperson that day. And in Acts chapter 2, it shows us that Peter, he stood up. In verse 36, Peter said, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, or Lord and Christ. And Peter's saying, hey, you guys remember this? This just happened a little over a month ago. The guy you killed, Jesus, the one you crucified, yeah, God, he's made him Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one we've been looking for, and you put him to death. And notice the reaction of the crowd in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When they hear that message, they say, what do we do? And Peter responds, Verse 38, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so looking back at this this event that took place here in Acts chapter 2, I think the first step in becoming a disciple and one who follows Jesus is, first of all, you have to believe the gospel. You've got to believe the gospel. When the, Peter, when the people heard Peter preach, their response was to ask, what do we do? What should we do? They asked this because they believed what Peter said to be true. And that word gospel simply means good news. And the good news is the creator of the universe. He has reached down to save us. And all of us have rebelled against him at some point. All of us deserve his wrath, but because of his love... We don't have to face his wrath. And because of his love, our creator, he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he came back to life from the grave in order that he could just prove that he was greater. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. The good news he preached to them that you received and on which they have taken their stand. And he said, by this gospel, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so the first step in following Christ is to believe the message of Christ, to believe that gospel message, to believe the good news. And this is a step called faith. 
Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith this way, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You know, we don't have videotape footage of Jesus coming out of the grave. We can't show you the, the instant replay this morning. But we do have some pretty convincing evidence of his resurrection. We have historical accounts and, and gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. People who wrote down what they saw, wrote down what they had seen and heard, and people who were willing to die for their beliefs. This wasn't just something they made up. This was something they had witnessed. We, we also see changed lives. Before Jesus went to the cross, the disciples, they were afraid. They were fearful. I mean, Peter, he denied Jesus to a teenage girl. That's how scared he was. But after Jesus came back from the grave, we see how changed their lives were. And that they boldly stood up and Peter boldly told the crowd, Hey, you guys killed Jesus, but God has made him Lord. And we've seen even today the changed lives of people. People who meet Jesus and their lives are changed. Their lives are completely different. And so someone has said that faith... Faith is going to the edge of all the light you have and then taking one more step. But believing is more than just mental assent. It's more than just saying, okay, I I believe that. Believing is not just agreeing with the concept. To believe is to be personally committed to the facts of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, he, he died, he rose again. And to be committed to that and to trust him completely for our salvation. Because salvation is not something we can earn. It comes to us by God's grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, we're all saved by grace through faith. And we realize, though, that faith requires a response. You know, when they come on the radio with a a weather report or TV, and they say, hey, there's, there's, there's a tornado warning for, for the area. Well, the people living in that area where the tornado warning has been issued, they have a choice. People decide, okay, I'm going to believe the weatherman, or I'm not going to believe the weatherman. I mean, after all, he's been wrong before. But the tornado warning is issued, and they say, okay, we can either go to the basement or, or go into the hallway, or we can just keep doing what we're doing. But we have a choice. And you see, their belief is not just, okay, yeah, there's a tornado warning. Their belief is followed by action. And the same is true with the gospel. You see, it's not just enough to believe that Jesus, he died and came back to life. To to believe is to trust in that completely and to respond to Jesus Christ. James chapter 2.17 says that faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And so this means that we need to have action. This means we need to repent of our sin. Paul said in Acts chapter 17 verse 30 that in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. We believe, and that's followed by action. We repent. Now repentance is one of those church words, one of those church words that we use a lot and we think we know what we're talking about, but a lot of times we don't really have a clue what we're we're talking about. But the original word in the Greek language was the Greek word metanoia. And metanoia literally means a change in the way we think, a change in our attitudes. You see, repentance is admitting that 
well, I, okay, I've, I've been stubborn. I, I've been resistant to, to his authority in my life. And my, my attitude has been uh, closed and, and I need to change. I, I've been proud. I've been arrogant. And now I've got to be submissive and, and humble. Or I, I've been pessimistic and doubting. But now I've become optimistic and, and, and hopeful in my life. When we repent, we, we change our thinking. We change our direction. We, we resist the old and, and we seek to honor God with, with a new way uh, of living. But this is difficult at times. I, I heard about a woman buying a shirt and she was in the store and she noticed that the tag on the shirt said that the, the, the fabric was shrink resistant. And she asked the salesperson what it meant if this is shrink resistant. And the salesperson said, well, honestly, it'll shrink, but it just doesn't want to. <laughs> All right. And that's kind of when we repent, we kind of become sin resistant. We don't want to, but times we do mess up, but yet we're continually trying to change. We're turning our direction and following God. And we want to be genuine with repentance. And genuine repentance involves a few, a few things. First of all, there's, there's conviction. And we feel convicted about our sins. And we don't use the words, well, well if I messed up, or well, maybe I was wrong there. No, we're genuinely convicted that, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I have done wrong. And, and real repentance accepts the responsibility. Second, in genuine repentance, there is grieving. You know, it's not just being sorry. It's being sorrowful for, for what I've done. There are feelings of regret. There's a, a sense of brokenness when we repent. I mean, have you ever been so brokenhearted over your sin that you just wept? And you just shed tears and said, I'm so sorry, God. And just have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the truly repentant don't, don't simply cry about their sins. They, they change their behavior. There is a, a changing that takes place. One man, he prayed, Lord, thank you that we can come to you just as we are. But remind us that we dare not leave as we came. And God loves us as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. He, he desires to change us. And therefore, we continue to respond to Christ. We believe in him. We repent of our sins. And we continue responding to him. Now, you know, if the publisher's clearinghouse showed up at your door and, and everything, they, they had the big check, had the balloons, and said, hey, here you go, you know, here's a few million dollars. You know, are you going to think, wow, this is great. I can frame this check and just look at it all the time. I'll keep the balloons in a scrapbook. Well, no, you're not going to do that because you have to do something to claim that prize. You accept that gift and then you go to the bank and you, you take the care of the arrangements. It's a gift, yes, it's a prize, but you do something to respond in order to, to receive that. And salvation from God is a free gift in the name of Jesus, but we have to respond to it to receive it. And there are some more things we do. Yes, we believe, we repent, but we also see that there is confession. We confess our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, he said that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died very publicly. I mean, it was out in the open, out for everyone to see when Jesus died on the cross. It was during the daytime. It was on a high hill that overlooked the city of Jerusalem. It was on a Jewish feast day during the feast of Passover. 
tons of people in the city to celebrate that feast. There were thousands of people there. Jesus, he died publicly. And when we accept him, he wants us to accept him publicly. I heard about a guy named Charlie Moore. And Charlie Moore had been transferred to a new job in a new city. And as he was just getting there, he he decided a way to, to make friends and to kind of meet people was to join his company's softball team. And so he, he joined the company softball team, but he wasn't the greatest softball player in the world. And so when he gets up to bat, he's up there, and all of a sudden he hears this voice from the crowd saying, You can do it, Mr. Moore. You can do it, Mr. Moore. Of course, he strikes out in softball, which is pretty embarrassing. And the next time he comes up to bat, he hears this voice again, You can do it, Mr. Moore. You can do it, Mr. Moore. And finally, after the game, they're heading home with his family. He's riding in the car with his family. He said, you know, I really didn't think anyone knew me. I kept hearing this voice saying, you can do it, Mr. Moore. And from the back of the van, his youngest son pipes up, oh, that was me, Dad. That was me. I was cheering for you. He said, well, why would you call me Mr. Moore? He said, well, I didn't want anyone to know you're my dad. (laughs) Well, (laughs) when we have this relationship with Jesus, we ought to be proud of him. We ought not be ashamed of Jesus. And we ought to be eager to confess our faith and saying, yes, Jesus, he is my Lord. He is my Savior. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's our response of confession. But we also respond by believing, by by repenting, by changing, by, by confessing, but also by baptism. We are baptized into Christ. In Acts chapter 2, when the people believed the message, they asked Peter, what do we do? And Peter's response was then for them to repent and, and to be baptized. And if they did this, then their sins would be forgiven. They'd have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 2 verse 41 tells us that those who accepted his message, they were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow, can you imagine 3,000? I bet the apostles had baptizer's elbow from all those baptisms that they were doing. And those of us in the church today, those of us who are married, we went through some sort of marriage ceremony. And there's a lot of things that happen before a marriage ceremony. Things like getting to know each other, asking them out, you know, going out on a date and learning more about them, meeting families, meeting friends, all those things that go up. And and then you go into an engagement process. and, And yet, what is the point you look at to say, this is when we're married? You look at the wedding ceremony. When you exchanged vows, when you exchanged Rings. You, you march down the aisle. There was a preacher who signed the license. And you might not feel like things are different, but trust me, things are, are different at that point in your life. The two become one. And God has given us baptism as a sacred ceremony to celebrate the uniting of our lives with Him. And there's a lot that takes place before baptism, getting to know Him and, and learning about Him. And there's a lot that takes place after baptism. But that's when we look and say, here's when I made my commitment. Here's when I was baptized into Christ. Someone said baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, he said, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
And we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And baptism is that willing plunge of our body and soul into the promise and power of Jesus Christ. And the entry into the water signifies that apart from Christ, you know, we're dirty, we're filthy. And lowering our body into the water signifies we're willing to, to die to self or to die to sin. And raising up from that water signifies that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we are raised to live a new life. We are made alive because of him. And baptism seals our covenant with Christ, uniting us with Jesus in his body, which is the church. And understand that baptism is not the final step in following Christ and becoming a disciple. Baptism is the starting line. It's, it's the first. It marks the, the beginning of the Christian life. Because, you know, when we get married, the wedding ceremony is not the last step. It's the first step. It's, it's the beginning. But listen to these two statements from Jesus. In Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus said, But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. In my first ministry, I met a couple named Lewis and Jeanette. And Lewis and Jeanette, they had come on a Sunday morning and they kind of sat in the back row and kind of kept to themselves. It was their first time there. They'd never been to the church before. And I, I met them, got to know them a little bit. And they kept coming. And, and after a few weeks, uh, Lewis was really curious about things. And he said, hey, I'd love for you to come over to the house and just, just talk about some things with me. And, and I said, oh, that's fine. I'll be more than happy to come over to the house and, and sit down and talk with you. And, and so we kind of set up a time. And, and, and when I got there, uh, uh, it, it got to the house, and I, Lewis met me at the door, and Jeanette, she met me too, but I could tell she wasn't as excited about me being there. Uh, she wasn't as enthused about uh, my presence and, and what we were wanting to talk about that night that, uh, that Lewis wanted to talk about because she kind of let me know that, well, first of all, I'm a Christian because I've always watched Charles Stanley on TV on Sunday mornings, and secondly, you're not going to dunk me in water. She made that very clear to me that I wasn't going to dunk her. And I had a couple options at that point. I could have rolled my eyes and said, you know, Peter didn't tell the people on the day of Pentecost, hey, you want to know how to be saved? Watch Charles Stanley on TV. There you go. That's what you do. I could have been a smart aleck like that or whatever. But, but I said, no, no, I, that's okay. I said, I really like to listen to Charles Stanley. I don't, you know, always agree with everything he says, but he's a good communicator, good, good preacher. And we just start having this conversation and, and you know, just kind of some small talk at first and, and everything. But then Lewis kind of got to the point and he said, why, why do you, you baptize people in, in church? And he really wanted to know what, what difference does it make? And so gathering all my knowledge from Evangelism 101 class in Bible college, I took Lewis and Jeanette down the Roman road. And the Roman road goes something like this. It's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all means we're all in the same boat. We've all, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And Romans uh, 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. If we sin, we, we get death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Romans 5, 8, Paul said that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
When we were dead in our sins, when we were still sinners, he died for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He just died for us. And in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess, confess and are saved. And then Romans 6, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And when we finished reading these verses from their Bible, Jeanette looked at me and she said, I've never heard it that way before. And this lady who was not enthused with me being there, and this lady who made it perfectly clear I wasn't going to dunk her, well, that next Sunday, I dunked her. (laughs) And I can't tell you the look of joy and the look of peace that she had on her face, knowing that she had done everything she could to respond to Christ. And friends, Paul tells the church, tells the church leaders, hey, speak the truth in love. We're not trying to win any arguments. We're just trying to do what Jesus said. We're just trying to make disciples who go out and make disciples. And the truth is, we have all sinned. We're all guilty. We all deserve death. But the good news, Jesus died for our sins. He went to that cross. He died for our sins and he came back to life. And Jesus asked us to humble ourselves, to believe in that good news, to repent, to make a change, to confess our faith, to even be buried with him in baptism. That's what he wants us to do, to follow him. And this morning, Steve and Jen are going to come back up now at this time. This morning, we're going to have a song of decision, a song of invitation. If you've never become a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk with you about that. I'll be standing over here in the ramp after we, as we sing. If you want to talk, love to do that. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you, encourage you. Love to do that as well. But if you need to make a decision, come meet me over there. But let's stand together and let's worship the Lord and let's thank Him for the good news that he died and rose again. And because of that, we have hope.